Welcome to Convention Pulpit, Wesleyan Voices Past and Present, brought to you through the Ministry of Inner Church Holiness Convention. Visit our website for an entire library of great sermons and more information on this ministry, www.ihconvention.com. Glenn Griffith was known by many of his peers as a modern-day John the Baptist. Considered to be one of the greatest camp-meeting preachers of his generation, he was as straight as an arrow, yet he had a compassionate ministry and would often preach with tears in his eyes. I trust you will enjoy this message that he titled, Turned Back. Keep passing it on and on. The 70th Psalm, begin reading at the first verse. Read as far as the 10th or the 12th, and then turn to the 36th verse with me, if you will. Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old which we have heard and known and our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from we will not hide them from their children, showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he hath done. For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers, that they should make known to their children, that the generation to come might know them even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children, that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God which keepeth his, which, but keep his commandments, and might not be as their fathers a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that set not their heart aright, and whose spirit was not steadfast with God. The children of Ephraim, being armed and carrying bows, turned back in the day of battle. They kept not the covenant of God and refused to walk in his law and forgot his works and his wonders that he had showed them. Marvelous thing did he in the sight of their fathers in the land of Egypt, in the field of Zoan. Now at the 36th verse of the same psalm, if you will. Nevertheless, they did flatter him with their mouth and delight unto him with their tongue. For their heart was not right with him, neither were they steadfast in their in his covenant. But he, being full of compassion, forgave their iniquity and destroyed them not. Yea, many a time turned he his anger away and did not stir up all his wrath. For he remembered that they were but flesh, a wind that passeth away and cometh not again. How oft did they provoke him in the wilderness and grieve him in the desert? Yea, they turned back and tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. The 65th verse of the same psalm, please. 
Then the Lord awaked as one out of sleep. And like a mighty man that shouteth by reason of wine. And he smote his enemies in the hinder parts. He put them in a perpetual reproach. Moreover, he refused the tabernacle of Joseph and chose not the tribe of Ephraim. He chose the tribe of Judah, the Mount Zion, which he loved. And he built his sanctuary like in high, like high places, like the earth, which he had established forever. He chose David also his servant and took him from his sheepfold, from following the ewes great with young. He brought him to feed Jacob his people and Israel his inheritance. So he fed them according to the integrity of his heart and guided them with the skillfulness of his hands. I want to call your attention this afternoon to this thought in Scripture. Tremendous thought. In the day of battle, in the time when God needed soldiers the worst, this text I give to you today, the children of Ephraim being armed and carrying bows turned back in the day of battle. And the 41st verse we may get to. Yea, they turned back and tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. Never was there a time in the history of the kingdom of Israel when God needed men as it needed them when this text came into existence. Here's a, here's a tribe that was the son, the youngest son, Joseph, Ephraim. God loved Joseph. What a background for a young man to come into his inheritance and to lead the people. Joseph, that faithful one, one of the characters of the Bible that God uses in his inspired word to represent Jesus Christ. Not once did they have a mark against Joseph in his life of service to the master and his faithfulness in the kingdom, the temptations that he was uh, led that he went through, but came out a ruler in the land, a strange land. And then there came a generation that knew not Joseph. And he suffered. But Joseph, who was the father of Ephraim, the youngest son, expected much of him, and God expected much of Ephraim. But if you read the history of Ephraim, he turned aside and thought he needed to add something to the strength of God and the gospel as we do today. He felt that he needed idols and he began mixed up. He began to worship like Balaam, mixed up with all the people. He worshiped at the different shrines and thought he could add to the strength and draw the people. But he failed right in the crucial time when God needed him. When the battle got hot, God needed someone to stand in the gap and save the name of Israel. Ephraim failed. And it really got to the place in the life of Ephraim where God turned him down and said, let him alone. He's joined to his idols. It's an awful day in the life of a man or in the life of a nation when God forgets and turns away from a nation and lets them alone to run their own business. Sometimes I fear that God has let the United States go that way. I believe there's a time in San Francisco with a traitor as the secretary that organized the so-called United Nations when they didn't invite God nor invoke his blessings. They didn't need God. They felt 
They were wise men around the table, and the infidel and atheist sat across the table, and they didn't want to have prayer because of his belief and his ideology. But you know, that day, God, when they shut him out of the door, God left. He's never been back. He's let them run their own business, and they don't know the way out of the dark today. They're lost in a maze of defeats and uh, retreats and appeasements until today we stand to tremble as a nation, spiritually, financially, militarily, in every way that a nation, this great nation that had such a background and inheritance from the children that came across the stormy seas and established it on the word of God. No doubt they prayed before they went very far up the stormy coast of the Red Rock coast of the northeastern United States, but they established the kingdom in this country on the shores there on this Bible. But today, we're like a ship that's derelict, without a rudder or without moving power. We're adrift on a sea as a ship of state without any particular direction to go. Nobody seems to know their way out. So Ephraim failed God in the same storm when God needed him. He referred them back to their fathers and the miraculous things that he did for the children of Israel. When he met them there in the valley of Zoan and led them out of Egypt, it said he brought them out with a mighty hand. They never came out with their head down, nor defeated people. They came out with faith in the one that had uh, came and talked in the burning bush to that shepherd boy or that one named Moses, that he brought them out with a high hand. And as they approached the impossible and the sea that piled its waters before them, wild mountains on either side and the rumbling of chariot behind them, that mighty God in whom they had faith pushed back the waters of a red sea and gave them passageway on dry ground. He surrounded them with fire by night until the enemies couldn't locate them in the blazing glory of the God that they believed in. He put a cloud over them like an umbrella by day that he could keep them from the blazing sun to get them to the point where they wanted them to go. But right at the mount of there at Mount Seir and up to the boundary line of Canaan, the land that he expected them to possess, that journey across the protecting hand of God was upon them. I tell you, God is a God of miracles. He's a supernatural God. He hasn't waned in his power. But out in the center of the desert, we flew over that old dry, brazen desert. Not a tree, not a blade of grass that I could see from the airplane. Not a bird, not a moving thing of life was there. But out in that wilderness where there was nothing but sand and wind-blown piles of sand, God put his finger on a rock when they needed to drink and gave them water for the rock. And I read in the Bible for that rock was Christ. <laughs> he let manna fall from heaven every morning until it could gather like together manna in the morning and he could let it fall so on Saturday night that they didn't have to become hypocrites and work on Sunday. They could have enough to take them over the Lord's day and they could be old-fashioned homeless people even on Sunday. Hallelujah to the Lamb. He can still do it today too. He can give us enough praise God on six days in a week until we don't have to become lawbreakers and commandment breakers. But God's still able to supply our needs today. Hallelujah to the powerful one. Glory to God. He gave the man of the 
them birds that fell until they gorged themselves on the shores. And when they come to the time when God depended on them, they backed up and wouldn't go in. Brother, God could pile up the stormy waters of the Jordan, which he did a little while later. But 40 years, they wandered out in the wilderness and died and bleached their bones in the wilderness of sin. Because in the crucial moment, when God wanted them to cross over and drive out the giants and see the cities fall, they failed God in the crucible and caused an inheritance to come to their children. The same failure and the same weakness was in them. They never taught their children like they should. They never gave them the proper influence. They never cast their shadow of victory and faith over their young people until those young people got to the place where they become disobedient and the tribe become willful and rebellious until they begin to feel that God needed somebody else and some other gods to help him out and to add to his power to give them victory. They aligned themselves with Egyptians. They aligned themselves with godless kings. They intermarried with the daughters and princesses as our good brother preached about this morning. They did all these things thinking that God wasn't able I believe that's exactly what's the matter with us today. He doesn't need any help. He doesn't need any strength. He doesn't need to go anywhere for wisdom. He doesn't need to go anywhere for leadership. God is able to deliver. Even today, I tell you folks, across the history of time, you can read the same failure in the children of men. You can take the, you can take even in the judges. God in his infinite mercy and his miraculous birth and met with the mother and father out there alone and told them and called them Nazarites and gave them a son that was blameless and started him out with a, from the new birth from his mother's womb. God's man. His hand was upon him and no telling what might have happened. But he proved himself until again he began to trifle with the things of this world. And he began to think that he needed addition. And he fell in love with a thing that he ought not to have fallen in love with. In the crucial moment, God only knows what Samson might have accounted for. And in the judges of his nation, if he'd have stayed true to God. There's nothing wrong with his birth. There's nothing wrong with the foundation stones that was laid for his life. We can't lay it on old-fashioned second-blessing wholeness today either. There was nothing wrong with the inception of this experience called sanctification subsequent to regeneration. Brother, it was born in Pentecost. There's nothing wrong with it. We can't lay our failure today upon the things, upon the people back there. We can't do it. It was a great heritage. But Samson, you know, as he began to trifle. fell in love and got careless, rebelled against his father as the children of Israel rebelled against God. He rebelled against the advice of his father. And in that time of disobedience, little by little, not knowing whether we can drift in the atmosphere of compromise, we can live in an atmosphere of an apostate church or apostate family and people until unconsciously we'll drift into weakness. We'll drift into disobedience. We'll begin to see that things don't appear nearly as bad as they seem. We can do that 
And I'm afraid that we're doing it today. And the devil, when we're with arms, they had everything they needed. It wasn't that God slipped up on Ephraim. I mean the devil slipped up on Ephraim because he wasn't armed. The scripture said he was armed. He was fully armed. He had the equipment that he needed and was throwing balls or throwing a dart. But in that moment of his strength, he became weak. Samson, that was one time, carried the beams of the gates of a city. Samson, the one that could take a lion in his hands and rend him asunder without any trouble. Samson, that one that could take from the hilltop yonder and come down with a jawbone of an ass and slay 1,600 Philistines and then pray a prayer a few words long and God would break out a spring in the jawbone that he used for a weapon. You don't need to tell me that God is dead. God can still do something today. But you know, he began to depend upon somebody else and begin to cater to the lust of his own self and his own flesh. And in that selfishness and in that moment of feeling sorry for himself and accomplishing something for himself, he got into trouble and they bound him. He gave away his secret little belittle. But in that moment, no church or no individual backslides. Suddenly, they drift into it. A long time before the result is seen, the heart is far from God. They testify with their lips, but their heart is far from God and cooled off and the romance is gone. And no longer is God the one God, the altogether lovely, the one that said, I am, the great I am. No longer does he become Jehovah God and none else. Other gods enter in, become bound. And when a fellow becomes tired, he loses the unction. When his freedom is gone, when the unction's gone from the pulpit, and the groan's gone from the prayer meeting, and the freedom's gone from the Christian's testimony, and the secret place loses its prayer, the church is defeated. I don't care what additions you make. I don't care what a new program you form. I don't care how many crusades that's organized. I don't care how many, many million dollars you raise for missions. That's not the proposition. The secret of it was, is the seven rocks of the covenant that God expects us to keep if we expect to have his blessing and his power and his deliverance. Don't you let anybody cheat you out of the experimental knowledge of saving and sanctifying grace. It hasn't cheapened a bit. I know the line is blurred now until a man who's a great speaker in the eyes of some people who stood on the platform and I read his brochure and it said that every on every camp meeting platform it had gotten to the place on holiness platform where there must be a Calvinist on the same platform with an Armenian preacher of the gospel of holiness. And because of that, the line of demarcation and the line between once and grace, always in grace, and old-fashioned second-bedding deliverance from sin had become so blurred that a lot of holiness people had become so mixed up that they are saying hurrah for a Calvinistic preacher and a voice on the radio 
and they're rooting, and you don't dare say much about it either. But I say to you, the reason of it is, is because they're tired, and they've lost their freedom, they've lost their joy, they've lost their strength, they've lost their burden, they've lost their concern, the preacher's lost his unction, and there's something wrong in Canaan when men go that way and go to Egypt for strength and help. But you know, it doesn't stop. When a man loses his unction, he loses vision. The devil doesn't let you stop with being tied until led by the people and uh, the priest loyalty to this and loyalty to that. Not just tied to leadership and human leadership, but uh, you lose your vision. They took him and bored his eyes out. He couldn't see. Anybody could lead him. Armstrong and his boy could lead him. Anybody can lead him. Why? Because his vision's gone. He's liable to get mixed up in a delusion anywhere. They come along and take a hold of his hand just so that they promise that they'll take him someplace. He'll go with them. Why? He's blind. He don't see what he used to see. He used to see pomegranates, but now he sees walled cities. He sees giants that somebody must help him slay. But one time, he didn't see anything but the grapes of Esco and the pomegranate trees in the orchard of paradise. Oh, brother, it makes a difference. That vital contact with God. It'll take you across the dark places. It'll settle the things. What other things are unsettled? It'll keep you steady in the storm. It'll hold you steady when the winds are blowing and the contrary currents are cutting close to your soul. <laughs> I wish I could say what my soul feels. Victory in Jesus. Blind. A blind man, the judge of Israel. A blind man to govern his people. A blind man to take Israel in or out. Oh, that God could help us in a day of sorrow. In this hour before the tribulation that my good brother preached about this morning. This coming catastrophe. And blind men in the pulpits. And blind men in leadership. Blind men that can't. They've lost contact with the supernatural. They fail to keep a hold of the crucified one. They miss it somewhere. They've exchanged it for theology. And they've exchanged it for doctrine. They've exchanged it from an ideology and a way of life. Brother, this isn't a way of life. It's a Christian experience. They missed it. And when they got him blind, they let him, he didn't know where he was going. And the next thing we'll find out that they hitched him on to the suite down at the entertainment center. And he changed his church, changed his church into an entertainment center. Very easy when you've lost, when you're bound and you have to do what congregations tell you to do and what folks tell you to do. And you're off, your vision's gone until any old place is a good place in the time of the storm. And that's what they're looking for now. They're looking for a reservoir of safety. They're looking for a, a refuge for them. The men and the women both work. It doesn't make any difference how much we get out of place as a society. Just so we have a refuge. So we can lay up for a rainy day. So that nobody can bother us. 
It's us. It's us. It's not God any longer. It's not the benefit of Israel any longer. It's not the welfare of God's sheep anymore. It's us we must take care of. We must find out something that can shield us in this day. We have social security and eternal security. And God only knows what else we'll have before it's over with. But I tell you the best security I know of is the cleft in the rock of ages. Hallelujah. It'll never fail. Never in this world. I tell you not only that. They put him down there and hitched him onto the sweep. Said, here's the old holiness preacher. Used to preach up there so good. Used to have the unction. He seemed to have a burden for Israel. He seemed to want to do something. I notice his hair is gone now. I notice the covenants have been broken. He's trifled with that covenant. He's trifled with that promise he made God. He took things off of the altar that he put on there. He's gone back from what he used to stand for. He's got a different story to tell now. He's got a different message now to fit the age. He wants to group the people. He wants to have a great following. And he wants to build security within himself. That's Samson. And in the midst of the time, when in spite of his supernatural birth, in spite of the marvelous background that he had, well, they didn't taste wine. They were so careful to keep their covenant with God. But in the end, even with that beginning, Hold us, folks, can backslide. In that moment, one day when he awakened, he said, I'll do as I have done at other times. But he didn't. He didn't shake anybody. He didn't even shake Samson. You can't shake them today either. You can't awaken them. You can't stir them. They're tied. They're set in their ways. There's some folks that are going on, they're going to die just like they're living this afternoon. They're not going to change their ways. They've got their pattern already cut. They know where they're going, they say. Samson got up and tried to do it, but he never moved. Said he wished not. He never knew when the Holy Ghost slipped away. He never knew when that peculiar touch that God had given him had removed itself. He never knew when the strength that moved on him between the camps. He didn't know when that left. A lot of other folks hadn't discovered it either. They'll find it out someday. But I'm afraid nine times out of ten, they'll find it out too late. Too late when their eyes are gone and they're tied and bound and there they are down in the pit making sport. Who for? The folks that mocked at holiness? The enemies of God? The folks that said that can't be and yet he had proven in every way that it had been? I wish we had time to look at Saul. Whoever had a better start than he did. I'm talking about people with a background. I'm talking about folks that had a good start, Brother Robertson. What about Saul? Head and shoulders above every boy, every young man in his tribe. So bashful that he hid himself when they wanted him to do something and be a leader. Hid himself in the stuff. Out trying to look for the donkeys of his dad. When he heard the prophet was coming, he went down and hid himself. And they had an awful time finding him. But look at him down at the end of the trail. There he stands with his head down like the old Indian pony. You've seen the picture painted. The old chief with a, with a spear in his hand, his head bowed in his horse's head. Clear down at the end of the trail. 
He said, I've played the fool. I've erred exceedingly. But look at him, what he could have done. But right when God wanted him to destroy the enemy, that it made it so hard on God's people. In fact, they were the ones that God sent the folks around a different way because they weren't able to do battle when they were in the regenerated state. And he sent them around another way. But now, when God needed Saul to destroy the Amalekites and bring back King Agag and destroy everything until it would be a clean sweep for God and victory in the army, he went over. And the people, he said, the people caused him to do it. He brought strange sheep into God's corral. They never were born again. They didn't know anything about the laws of Israel. But he brought, he brought strange sheep and strange cattle into God's corral and put them in there, Brother Fawcett. But you can't steal the, the noise of a stranger. It'll come out sometime. The sheep begin to bleat and the cows begin to low. And the prophet said, Saul, what meaneth this? Then he began to testify, just like a lot of folks make excuses. That's why they are. If it hadn't have been for so-and-so, if it hadn't have been for persecution, if it hadn't have been for this, if it hadn't have been for that, I wouldn't have backslidden. But I cooled off and and everybody's doing it anyhow. And everybody's going this way. And everybody allows this done. And everybody's dressing like this and doing like everybody is. Oh, no, they're not. Thank God. They're not. There's some that are not doing it. Hallelujah. Thank God for the remnant that's not doing it. Praise the Lord. There's 7,000 having bowed the knees to Baal, but I'm talking about the leadership of the day that failed God in the crucial moment when it could have been a victor. And Saul, that mighty one, that timid one, that bashful one, that mighty worshiper of God and follower of the king. I'll tell you about the hill of Gilboa. His influence wrecked his children until they were on the wrong side of the fence. And up there was that boy, Jonathan, that loved David like his own soul. He died, I'll tell you, on the hillside because his dad was in the wrong camp and failed God. When he had the army, he had everything. What about him down there when the giant came up and he began to cower? Lots of giants now in the day in which we live. The scaring men and women think we mustn't say this. We mustn't say that. And, and our government dares not to say anything staunch against Khrushchev nor Castro. We can use 20,000 down the south to put a Negro in school. But I tell you, beloved, we, 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 just, we just dare not. We dare not. Why? Because that spark of patriotism has died in the heart of the United States. That's why. And the reason why Christian men and Christian people fail God in the crucial moment is because they've lost sight of the cross. It's because the heart throbs of the master doesn't beat in their veins anymore. It's because Pentecostal fires doesn't burn anymore. They don't run out with the message and say, you crucified the Prince of Peace and nailed him to a cross and stirred the world and brought 500,000 in in 25 years. That's gone. The spark's gone. All they've got is a cold dogma and of orthodoxy that's as cold and colder than ice. Nobody wants it. The young people don't want it. The outside world don't want it. It doesn't keep the folks that say it does. They 
when the bullet began to fly. They turned back when God depended on them on the battlefield. Anybody can shout in an atmosphere like this. If he couldn't, there's something wrong with him, sure enough. Anybody can shout when the banners are waving and the bands are a-paying and saying, hurrah for everybody. But I'll tell you out there, when the, when the crucial moment comes and there's a cross on the hill, there's a judgment hall and a pilot that's just scared to death that he won't please the Roman government. It's a different thing then, folks. It's out there on the place where he said, you'll be witnesses unto me when? When the Holy Ghost comes and not until he does. And when he's gone, you won't be witnesses. A Samson will become weak. A Saul will become a coward and die a suicide out of the camp of Israel. Move on across. But I'm going to tell you, before I leave the picture there, thank God there were some that didn't sell out. They put them in swine pit. They took, Jer they took Isaiah with his pushing. They put him in a hollow log and sawed the log in two. And he meant it. But they never did it until he painted a picture and said, Unto you a child is born. Unto you a son is given. And they shall call his name Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. They never stilled his voice until his pen wrote that the, a sign shall be given you, that a virgin shall bring forth a son, and they'll call his name Emmanuel, God with us. I tell you, he left some footprints on the sands of time that testifies now for Isaiah, and they'll testify when we cross the threshold of that eternal city. Hallelujah for Isaiah and the 11th chapter of the Hebrews. By faith they did it back there. You crossed the threshold and they're doing it in the Christian era. That's Simon Peter, the whole group. Simon Peter, right when Jesus needed him. Right in the battle. Right when it might cost him his life. Right when he might be censored. That's the reason why young people fail in school. That's the reason why women do what they do. That's the reason why men kind of shy off and say there's not so much wrong with it. That's the reason why we've lost the landmarks and, and we've sacrificed the traditions of the yesterdays. It's because we've lost him. When you lose him, you become afraid. When you're anointed, you're not afraid. When you have the unction, you're not afraid. But when you lose the vision and you're tired, then you become afraid. And a Simon Peter, big blustery fella, right in the moment when Jesus needed a friend, he failed he denied him. He said, well, he said, I think I can join the lions. I'm not so sure whether it's a, it's a secret order or not. I might be able to join the owls or the bats, something like that, kind of get along with the folks, and maybe I can have my hand behind me and raise a little money from a school, raise a little money and build up something, you know. I want that to soak just a little bit. He said, perhaps if I'll use wisdom and get down to the, to the preacher's illusions or whatever you call it down there and listen to Brother Broadmind, he might give me some instruction that I could be wise enough and slip up on a community and win their whole revival and get all of them sanctified before they knew it. 
Oh, you can't. I never saw anybody die that easy. There's going to be some groans around where folks get sanctified. Sarah, there's going to be some dying process there, sister. You're not going to slip up on anybody with this old-fashioned message. The folks that want it, worse than want anything in the world, don't get it. And the folks that don't want it, you couldn't get it to give it to them anyway if you give it to them on a golden platter. They don't want it. Simon Peter hid out there among the, the drapes and, the, and whatever there was out there. I didn't see anything in the old judgment hall when I walked down by, by the side of it. But out there he hid and warmed himself by the fires the, the rotaries built. Isn't that wonderful? Our pastor, he's so wise. He's a good mixer, I'll tell you. Sir. He gets right down and speaks to the Rotarians and the Lions and, and tells them how to run their business and how to sell shoes down there. They invited me down once before they got acquainted with me. And they thought I'd get out and tell them how to run the, the merchandise of the city and how to sell it. And I didn't. I told them when I started at the table. There sat old brother Smoker with his collar on back and and uh, another fellow with a pipe in his mouth and sat there at the end of the table. And uh, if they hadn't been the other table, I suppose that blue smoke in my face. But I got up and said, now, gentlemen, here's these, you fellows know how to sell shoes and how to run the merchandise into this thing and how to take care of all of the civic propositions and, and business. But I said, God called me to preach. And I suppose the reason why you called me down here is to preach the gospel. So I just haul off and preach for about 20 minutes around my chair and around theirs and lifted up Jesus Christ and some of them were crying and I saw the big old preacher stick his pipe in his pocket. I hoped it was on fire. <laughs> yes, Say, what are you talking about, preacher? I'm talking about that peculiar thing in there. God called us to be Christians. He never called us to tell how to run the world. He called us to be Christians. That's why I'm not going to get lost in this communistic proposition. I believe you ought to know about it, but I feel like old Ezekiel. I want to see the dead bones, but praise God, I want to still have faith in the Word of God that God can bring them out of their graves and bring them out of there and put the joints together and the toe together and the hand together until they can stand up and be a marching army. Hallelujah! And the army of Israel can go. I'm not going to look at the cloud. I'm going to look at the rainbow on the cloud. I'm going to look at the one that wrote the promises of this book. God's still able to break the shackles of sin and give us victory. Hallelujah to the Lamb. He said, I don't know it. He said, you talk like one anyhow. Then he cursed. So will you if you keep drifting too far. You'll do things that you never dreamed you'd do if you don't get caught up warm up and move in let God take you in and give you the victory you say who are you talking to whoever is guilty God's people if my people that are called by my name will humble themselves and get their wicked ways out of the way that I'll hear from heaven forgive their sin and heal their land that's his promise for today Simon Peter look at Judas all the way down until to the final climactic thing, the darkest picture I've ever looked at. But we must be fair. We must look at the valley of dry bones. If I want to look at the national picture, it's hopeless, Brother French. If I want to look at the international picture, it's hopeless. I don't believe in the diplomacy of today at all. They've never given us one ray of hope. 
It's a dark picture. Women can't walk down the street after sundown and be saved. Neither can little boys. Don't make a difference whether it's grandma or a teenager. This atmosphere that's not conducive to purity and goodness and God. And while the blasphemers from the pulpit, men that's supposed to know God, men that's supposed to bring the word, I want you to know that God turned down Ephraim. And he wouldn't build his tabernacle in Joseph. But he went over to Mount Zion in Judah and kept him. And he got the shepherd boy, David, that had been bringing forth fruit. And where he herded the sheep with the ewes that were bringing and increasing the flock year after year. Listen, God can do that thing again. Are you listening? Don't you think that God couldn't turn from the second blessing wholeness crowd? Don't you think he can? The picture over in Esther gives us that description. He said, Esther, don't you think for a minute that if you fail God in this crucial time, that uh, you're gonna, that your house is gonna uh, be protected and not be destroyed? He said, God will raise up deliverance to those 127 prophets some other way, but you and your house will be destroyed. Then Mordecai slipped another note under her door and she returned again this cry, this, this note and said have all gathered together all the Jews in Shushan and fast three days and three nights without bread or water and I and my maidens will fast likewise and I'll go in before the king where I haven't been invited for a month for thirty days and if I perish I perish. And that'll bring victory in anybody's camp meeting. It'll bring victory in any country. If God could get men and women to do the thing that looks useless now. Doesn't it look useless for God? He's a long way off. No, he isn't. He's in this pulpit. I told him this afternoon. Hallelujah. He's not a long ways off. He hasn't gone on a visit. He's running out or running out for somebody that'll pay the price and go through. All he wants is loyal men to God and folks that will worship God and believe in God and see that he's the answer to every need they have in the world. I know the devil doesn't like this, but I'm having the time of my life. Hallelujah. If God isn't that big, I wouldn't follow him. Doesn't meet a need. But right in this dark hour, right in a time, when if God ever needed witnesses, he needs them now. Equipment, think of it. Ephraim with arms. The church with everything under the sun. Laodicea, Percy. Excuse me, brother. True blood. Laodicea. Rich buildings. While they're contesting Jones and Browns and the Piscalopians and everybody else. They're going to put the steeple a little higher than the other one. He's over there. Going to attract the folk. What a great job. Going to attract the folk. What a great job. Pastor so-and-so done. Brick and mortar. Somebody told me just the other night. Said, oh, that beautiful church out there. 
in the suburban area. It's a beautiful thing, Brother Griffin. I forget how much he said it cost. Too much. A lot of money. He said, do you know how much he, how many he had in church Sunday night? And I said, I had the least idea. He said he had 38 in church. Church would seat. His church would hold 800. It'd seat 800 in his auditorium. Churches won't draw them. Right in this hour. When God needs men to shine. And women. When God needs witnesses. Right now with all the equipment. Talent. I thought when these beautiful girls begin to sing, thank God for an atmosphere in a school where they can develop that talent and use it for his glory. But think of the talent that isn't used that way. Think of the equipment that we have. Think of the money. There isn't anything we don't need. I remember when they used to take inspirational offerings in a great church. But now it's in the millions and the millions and the millions. The world. Never was morality lower ebbed than this Never was there as much hatred. You just rub the fur the wrong way. I don't care if he says he's sanctified. If she says she's sanctified. I don't mean that at all, but generally speaking. You just take them off the church board. You just not give them a place in the annual meeting. You get a glimpse of that sore thumb right away. And God depending on us. God looking at us. We don't bear any scars, folks. There's no lacerations on my back. No butter running down my spine. No hands that bind that shows the prince of chains in the dungeon. And yet, we're afraid. We're scared right now. Right now when we ought to stand up and say, praise God, it's not Calvinism, it's holiness under the Lord. Amen. Hallelujah! Amen. Right now is when we ought to go out in the byways and the hedgerows and compel folks to come and listen to the glorious gospel. And Jesus said, if I be lifted up from the earth, I'll draw men. God's doing it with crucified people. Crucified men and crucified women and crucified young people. And thank God there's a sprinkling all over this world that is gathering from the east and the west and the north and the south. That's a great home of these days. But I tell you, we never lived in a darker hour than we're living in right now. Right now is when God needs somebody. You remember the time, as you read in the Bible, when Jesus uh, said, I'm the bread that cometh down from God out of heaven. And then on down a little further, he finally just come out and said, I'm the bread. I'm the... I'm the son of God. Do you know what happened? All the church board left. Said what a hard saying. And all his disciples. Forsook him. And fled. Son of God. Oh the world isn't afraid of our entertainment. I listened to a choir of 300 people. Not long ago they were, they were really trained. And they sang one of my favorite hymns. Beautiful. And there's nobody in this tavern that loves music better than this fellow. It just played on the strings of my soul. And there was an atmosphere of reverence. John Noble was going to speak. Great church. Perhaps 3,000 people gathered there. My soul was thrilled. Then I looked. I looked at the people. It seemed that I could 
see behind the robes that they had on. I never saw him. I never saw him. I couldn't feel him any longer. I didn't say anything. Nor I never talked about it after I left the church either. But my heart sank. Equipment, armed with everything that God needs to reach a generation. And the generation just outside the gate. And nobody getting a hold of them. Everybody believes that's the truth. Put up your hand. Your hearts are breaking just like mine. I'm not trying to stir myself as I try to stir you. I'd give anything in the world if somehow I could stir. Until when we went outside the tabernacle, we wouldn't forget. Dar, my boy, running from a call to preach. Your boy and your girl, out there in an atmosphere in a church, well, tonight we'll have, we'll have uh, covered this luncheon. The door to the prayer room is never moved anymore. Have a banquet Saturday night. We're going to start a young people's convention too. We're going to open it with a banquet. All the leaders of the district now, I want you to come. We're going to have a preacher's at the end of the, whatever the, convocation is. When all the preachers come, bring the wives. Six dollars a plate all it'll cost you. I want you to come. We're going to start something. We're going to have the springboard here. I'm going to tell you about a launching pad that that'll never reach. Did you know that as much as they bragged on that first man that, that uh, went in the orbit around the earth, he just went once, wasn't it? I think they've gone about four, five, six times now. And they say they're going to go for a longer time than that. Did you ever know? Did you ever think that right this very minute as we sit and stand in this wonderful atmosphere, this tabernacle, that there are souls that have taken off of the launching pads of eternity and they're orbiting out there somewhere in outer darkness, clear out beyond the reach of God and help and prayer. They're out under. Why? Because we got tired and we got our eyes bored out and we wanted to help God out. So we organized this little business and organized that little business and we got this little department and we got this little department and we got this and we got that. And they're still going. They'll never stop. They're going on when the sun burns out. They're, they're out, children. They've already launched. They're not afraid that they'll get back and burn up in the atmosphere. That outer darkness out there where God never even thinks, where an angel never dares to fly. Lost. And forgotten, a lost soul. Maybe some of your loved ones. Maybe some of ours that we might have helped. Who can help them? The one that helped me and you at an altar of prayer. He's the only one. Talent can't do it. Culture can't do it. A well-arranged program can't do it. But a breathing Savior can do it. If we'll represent Him as one, He can do it there. Dark as the night. Beloved, I'm honest with you. If I wanted to look at this picture tonight, this afternoon, I'd have to close my eyes and say, hopeless. But you know, I, uh, you'll excuse this, this simple expression and illustration this afternoon. But I remember when I was a young fellow, I used to read uh, about those dogs up north, and I used to read about the girl of Limber Lost, and 
I used to read about Dan Matthews and the calling of Dan Matthews and, and those old stories that almost, uh, they read like the Bible almost of what the books do now. But you know, I remember reading in there one time and I just got the book and I wanted to read over there and I got over there just where it was interesting and it was an awful precarious condition everybody was in, right in the book. And my mother told me to go to bed. And I went upstairs where I belonged and but I uh, put a paper kind of around my light, you know, and kind of looked at dark towards the stairway door so Mother couldn't see. I thought they'd shed the light. And I tell you, it was in an awful shape. And I didn't want to leave that, I didn't want to leave that heroine the place she was. And I didn't want to leave the hero in the place he was. And I didn't want to leave that scoundrel, that, that fellow that was a wrecking everything. I didn't want to leave him where he was. They had that, they had the, the sweetheart and the hero they had him down at the old mill wheel down there. And they just to get him, they had him tied so that when they opened the sluice up there, that water would come in and drown him. And it's just, just liable to come in any moment. That's where he was. They had the hero line, had the, the sweetheart of the story, had her chained up there in an old haunted house, an old vacant house, to a bedstead. Had her chained up there to the post. And the old, the old scoundrel, the villain, he was a riding high. He was on his horse. He was going up now. He had the hero tied. He couldn't do anything. He's going up and take care of that. He's going to forever take care of that, that uh, heroine and that sweetheart uh, forever. And you know, I just couldn't leave that story like that. But my mother called upstairs, and I knew I better do something. You know what I did? I turned over in the back of the book. From the chapters through my finger and and got over there in the back of the book, and uh, I thought, well, I can read this, so I got to reading. And I found out over there in the back of the book that the hero got loose, shook his chains off and got loose, and went up and turned the heroine loose, and they had the old villain in handcuffs and taken him to the jail, and I could go to sleep then. But you know, I'm, I'm thinking about this hour in which we live right now. Then there was a darker hour, darker than that hour, but I just turned over in the back of the book. I just read it this afternoon and said, I saw heaven open. <laughs> Hope I can read it. <laughs> said, I saw heaven open. And behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon it was called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he doth judge and make war. His eyes were a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name writ that no man knew but he himself. He was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name was called the Word of God. <laughs> and the armies, which were in heaven, followed him upon white horses, clothed with white linen, white and clean. That's a holy cry. Can't you see that? And out of his mouth go the sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nation. And uh, he shall rule with the rod of iron, and uh, he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. 
For the first time, the first Jordan passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared the bride, adorned for a husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he shall dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them, and be their God. And God shall wipe all, all wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is the thirst of the fountain of the waters of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. That's a pretty good conclusion. Thank God it may look dark now. Looks like the whole thing's defeated. But I tell you, there's another chapter to this thing. Hallelujah. One of these days when the rest of the crowd's asleep and the world's all wrapped up in what they're doing, we'll catch the sound and the still small voice and say, come on home, it's time. Hallelujah. I expect to be among that number when the saints are gathered in. I'd give anything in the world if somebody in this crowd just really wanted God badly enough. Just get up out of your seat. Say, now is the time. In this crucial moment, children of the storm, right when it's the darkest, right when God is calling, right when he needs witnesses, I just wonder if somebody would get out of your seat. Say, that's what I want. I don't want to take for granted the heritage of holiness that has been passed on. Thank you for listening to Convention Pulpit, a ministry of Interchurch Holiness Convention, featuring Wesleyan voices past and present. For more sermons or for more information, visit www.ihconvention.com. This ministry is made possible through the financial support of our listeners. You may give online at ihconvention.com or send your donation to IHC, Post Office Box 99, New Berlin, Pennsylvania, 17855 USA.